That's formerly Sammy. Hello, my name is Laura. Happy New Year. Hello, my name is Susie. Hello, my name is Debbie. Happy New Year. Yeah, we are just here celebrating Chinese New Year. We just wanted to send a message and say hi and Happy New Year. Bye. All right. That was our message uh, from China. So thank you for sending that along. Uh, do we have any translations on that? Yeah, he just said uh, Happy Chinese New Year and sending all his love and best wishes. And Afrikaans. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. That was really nice. Any Chinese translation there? Uh, it was Happy New Year and uh, they were happy to send a message. Oh, okay. Well, cool. It was great hearing from all you guys. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast, and thanks for being our friends. We like you. Yeah. Yay. All right. All right. So, if you have your Bibles, we're going to open up tonight to uh, the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4. You can find a Bible on the table, uh, likely in front of you. Uh, if not, we can get one for you. Jonah chapter 4. And I need a volunteer willing to read Jonah chapter 4 verses 2 and 3. All right. So, uh, as a matter of just setting the stage for what is happening here, Jonah, a prophet, uh, was commissioned by God. We looked at this last week during our Bible study, but he's commissioned by God, sent to the city of Nineveh, and he had a message of repentance, a message of destruction, a message of God's judgment, and so, uh, and he's explaining in this passage exactly what had happened because he had decided to run away instead of delivering the message that God gave him for the city of Nineveh. And it was through that process of running away that he ended up on a ship. And as the story goes, uh, he was on the ship. The ship was in a violent storm. The ship was sinking. Uh, the people that were on the ship understood that there was something else that was going on here, not just a regular storm, but they really sensed there was super, something supernatural going on. And Jonah confessed that he was running away from the God of Israel. And they kind of freaked out, like, why are you running away from the God of Israel? And Jonah volunteered, and I'm sure they took him up on it. They threw him overboard in order to save their own lives. And Jonah was swallowed up by a great fish and was deposited three days later right uh, somewhere near Nineveh. So, uh, he is explaining things here in Jonah chapter 4. A few things happened in between there, but I'm giving you the condensed version. And he's explaining some of what was going on in his mind as far as why he ran in the first place and what he was trying to avoid. And 
he is in a, in a sense lamenting in a sense he is complaining in a sense he's explaining in a sense he has issue with God over what God was doing here and so that's what I want to look at tonight is really what's his issue what's the problem and if you look at what he starts off with, he starts off with describing God. And the way he describes God, he says, God, you are full of, and he names off some things. God, you are full of love. God, you are full of grace. God, you are full of pity. God, you are full of mercy. God, you are full of patience. God, you are full of forgiveness. God, you are full of tenderness. God, you are full of kindness. Now, anybody hear any bad traits there that God's full of? I'll read them faster this time. Love, grace, pity, mercy, patience, forgiveness, tenderness, kindness. Any bad traits there that you're, that you're picking up on? I'm not picking up on any. In other words, you look at all those traits and you look at the, all right, well, this is, Jonah recognizes that this is who God is. He recognizes that this is the character of God. He recognizes this is the way God has, has revealed himself. This is the way God is. This is how he showed himself. This is who he is. And so he, he's, he's more than happy to proclaim that. And for the most part, all of those things are a matter of joy and praise for God's people. Right? In other words, if you're in a, in a place of praise, you're in a place of worship, and you want to worship God. You can think on some of his uh, characteristics. You can think on some of the things that, that make him who he is. And a lot of times when we worship, those are the things that we concentrate on. So you can worship God for being a God of love or for being full of grace or pity or mercy or patience or forgiveness or tenderness or kindness because we've experienced those things in our lives. Those are things that we have come into contact with through our interactions with God over the time that we've known him. And we don't really have to know him a really long time in order to come into contact with these attributes of God, with these characteristics of God that, that, that we experience in our own lives. It doesn't really take a really long time to do that. Mainly because we're screw-ups. And because we're screw-ups, we, we come into this place where we need God's love and we need his grace and we need his pity and his mercy and his patience and forgiveness and tenderness and kindness. And, I, and I'm not trying to to make you feel bad about yourself, I'm just being honest that that's who we are. And he knows that's who we are. And it's a good thing he's full of all of these awesome characteristics because they come into play all the time in our relationship with him. And so we've experienced these things. We know these things. That's why they make great things and they make great subject matter for worship on our part. Just to take time and worship him. And to think about him as a God of love. Or to think about him as a God of grace. A God that's full of pity and mercy. I'll take God's pity. Any day. Any time. I'll take his pity. I want his pity. His mercy. His patience. He shows patience all the time whether you're aware of it or not. He's showing patience towards you. And forgiveness. And his tenderness. He's so tender toward us. And his kindness. He's so kind so kind in our life. And so these are all things that we can meditate on. These are all things that we can worship Him with. Because that's who He is. And He's worthy 
of worship. But what I want you to see, what I want you to see about Jonah is that he, if these, all these things are a matter of worship, they're a matter of joy and praise for God's people, that's not how Jonah was seeing this. He wasn't proclaiming those things and saying, well, I'm praising you for these things, or I'm thanking you for these things. He was, that's not why he was proclaiming them. He was actually seeing these qualities as if they were some type of an imperfection of the divine nature. Some type of mistake. In other words, he was looking at God's mercy as being a sign of weakness and imperfection in who God is. And I know for some of you that may sound a little weird. But is it? Is it really? And I, and I want you to think about this for a second. So I want you to think about his qualities. I want you to think about his characteristics in terms of how you see them when it comes to you and then how you see them when it comes to other people. And those two points of view may not be the same. And that's something for you to consider in that God doesn't change. That's something for you to consider in that God is who God is. And He is a God of mercy and love and grace and pity and patience and forgiveness and tenderness and kindness. That's who He is. And so He shows those characteristics toward you. But He also shows those characteristics toward others. Even people you don't like. Even people that you don't believe deserve those things. Well, as a little hint to you, you don't deserve them either. None of us do. And if you want to play the deserve game, once you begin to eliminate people from deserving of any of these characteristics, you eliminate yourself. Because that's just how it works. Because once you come to the conclusion that some people deserve it and some people don't, you will eventually come to the conclusion that you don't deserve it. And that's the problem with judgment. That's the problem that Jesus gave us with this whole idea of judgment. That in through judgment, we begin to eliminate people, or we begin to move people from the grace of God. We begin to move people from the mercy of God, from the forgiveness of God. We begin to move people away from who God is. We also move ourselves away. And that's why Jesus said, don't judge. Why? Lest you be judged. By whom? You. For whatever, whatever way or whatever, uh, whatever um, severity that you judge someone else, you will also be judged. By who? You. It's by your own judgment that you bring judgment upon yourself. And that's the problem with it. The problem with it is that we begin, as we eliminate the other, we eliminate ourselves. And Jonah hadn't quite figured that out yet. Because Jonah in one side could say, okay, this is who God is. He's full of love and grace and pity and mercy and patience, forgiveness, tenderness and kindness. That's who he is. Well, that's good for him. But these Ninevites are horrible people. They're pagans. And this is a terrible city full of sin 
and they deserve whatever they get. Well, the problem with that is so does Jonah. He deserves whatever he gets. That's the problem. And so by making that judgment on Nineveh, he makes that judgment on himself. And what had happened in the way he begins to describe what took place is that he made haste, and the word there is to fly away. He made haste to fly away before seeing his mission rendered nugatory. And that was his problem, is that he did not, in his mind, he believed that he had a holy divine mission. And his holy divine mission was to preach and prophesy over the city of Nineveh and to see judgment fall on the city. But knowing that God was a God of love and grace and pity and mercy and patience and forgiveness and tenderness and kindness, he ran away from that knowing that God would show those things to the people. And he didn't believe he should. He believed that he should preach that and that the judgment of God should fall on that city. That's what he believed. And rather than go through this process, rather than go through this process of seeing his perceived mission, and it was his perceived mission to see judgment fall on this city, he decided he would fly away, he would run away before he'd see that happen. You see, God was not going to perform as expected. He just wasn't. And it wasn't the way Jonah wanted him to perform. It wasn't the way Jonah wanted him to get things done and do things. And so because Jonah wanted it done a certain way, expected it done a certain way, he wasn't even going to come around. He wasn't going to be any part of it. Now here's the problem with that, is that that is, by its very nature, a carnal view of God. This guy actually saw his office as a prophet as being the same as God's honor. Because what would happen if he as a prophet went to Nineveh and he preached doom and gloom over the city, but then nothing happened? What would he look like? He looked bad, right? Like a false prophet. He would look like someone who isn't true to the word that he was given, that God isn't true to his word. And he's looking at this and he's saying, well, I need to protect the honor of God. I need to protect the honor of the office of the prophet. I can't just go and prophesy over these people of the doom and gloom when when you know, it comes right down to it, God's just going to show them mercy and it's not going to happen. I'm going to look like I was lying. I'm going to look like I, I didn't know what I was talking about. I'm going to look like I, I don't even know what, what what was going to be happening. And so I don't want to bring that kind of disgrace on God. I don't want to bring disgrace on the office of the prophet. Now, I'm talking kind of foolishly here because really when it came right down to it, who didn't he want to bring disgrace upon? Himself. Right. 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 And and so he ran, as we looked at in Jonah 1, he ran to avoid all of this. He just ran away. Well, God wasn't going to have any part of that. Because he was part of God's plan for that city. He was part of God's plan for what he wanted to do in the city of Nineveh. And so he he got a hold of Jonah supernaturally in the belly of a fish and brought him back. 
and and put him where he needed to be so he could do what he called him to do. Wow. And 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 Jonah it's kind of a weird book if you ever read through it. It's pretty short. You can just read through it. But it's kind of a weird book because it just basically is like, this is how it starts, this is how it ends, that's it. There's no fluff, there's no extra. It just is what it is. And yet Jonah is quoted by other prophets. He was This book was of significance among those that would come after him and even among his contemporaries that would read the words of the prophecy that this was something that was of significance to the other prophets that would be at the same time, same place he was, and those that would come after. And that's significant to me. Because when you have other Bible writers quoting you, you're probably doing something right, or something really wrong. I mean, it's something important, though, or they wouldn't be quoting what you're saying, quoting what you're doing. And so there we have that, and that's what's happening here. And so enough of what Jonah was going through, enough of what Jonah was experiencing, enough of what Jonah saw happening was important enough that it would be quoted again. More than one source, more than one person would be doing that. And so Jonah was concerned for his reputation. Jonah said he was concerned for the reputation of God. Jonah said he was concerned for the reputation of the office of the prophet. But when it came down to it, it was probably just, concerned for himself. The other problem with Nineveh, the other problem with Nineveh is that Nineveh was a pagan city. They were in sin. They were idol worshippers. And they, they did things that they shouldn't be doing and they were engaged in activities they shouldn't be engaged in. And so the people that were part of God's little circle, God's people, they, they didn't really associate, or they weren't supposed to associate with people outside of their circle. So they looked at Nineveh and said, well, that's just a, a pagan city. Yet God, through the scriptures, and I'm talking right from Abraham, before Abraham, Abraham and onward, always said, and I mean always said, that, that the pagans were going to come to know him. And that was always part of his plan. It was never outside of his plan. Now, I'm not talking how they interpreted things. I'm talking about what God actually said. And what God actually said was that they were never outside the plan. Now, how do you know that? Go to the New Testament if you want to. You can read in Acts chapter 15. And in Acts chapter 15, this is after Peter had had his experience at the house of Cornelius. And and he and, and the vision that he had... And everything that took place, you remember the vision Peter had? God lowered all these unclean animals on what looked like a sheet. And he said, rise, kill, and eat. Oh, no, Lord, I've never had anything unclean in my life. Whatever I say is clean is clean. That's what he said to him. Went out, they took him to the house of Cornelius. He began to preach to him. They got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Began to speak in tongues just like they had at the very beginning on the day of Pentecost. God, by doing that, then said, hey, I've accepted these people. The gospel's for them. Took them out, baptized them. Paul was already reaching the, the churches all through the, the heathen and the Gentile areas of the world and seeing Gentiles come to know Jesus. The gospel was for the Gentile. The gospel was for the pagan. The gospel was part of God's plan to bring all of us together. And so in Acts chapter 15, when Peter's talking to the council, and and you see them talk, and you see the different arguments that we made to the council. 
Very clear, he said, this is in agreement with the Old Testament scriptures and with all of the prophets, that this was God's plan from the very beginning, is that the Gentiles, the pagans, the unbelievers, the ones outside of their circle of believers, that, that God was going to bring them into relationship with himself. It's always been the plan. And that was proclaimed in Acts chapter 15, going backwards, saying this is always what God said from the very beginning. That's what he said through all the prophets. That's what he continues to say now. That's what he said from the very start. I mean, when he prophesied over Abraham, he said, through your seed, who's going to be blessed? Who? You remember? All the nations of the earth. That's right from the beginning. All right? That's the original prophecy. Through your seed, all the nations of the world is going to be blessed. All of them. I mean, that's not mincing words. That's not keeping it shrouded and hidden. That's God's plan. That was God's plan from the very beginning, the very inception of what would be the nation of Israel. His plan was that through all of them, and then eventually through Jesus, ultimately, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Period. And so, as you see, Jonah at Nineveh, he, he didn't see that. He wasn't looking at that. Right? He was looking at, we're us, they're them, we're nice, they're mean, we're good looking, they're ugly. Okay? And he, he's, he's drawing that us and them distinction with the Ninevites. That ain't God. That wasn't God. That wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's message. That wasn't what God had for them. God wasn't performing as Jonah expected him to perform. Well, if you haven't figured it out yet, that he doesn't. He doesn't perform like he wanted to perform. That's because he's not a dog. Alright? You can't tell God to sit, and he sits. Roll over. He doesn't do that. He is not your dog. Right? And so you can't expect him to just perform at your whim or expectation because he will not and does not do that. And it is a waste, a waste of your effort to even try and pretend to make him do that. You will just live disappointed. You're just going to live running away. You're just going to live somehow, some way, in some alternate reality that isn't real, that has nothing to do with where the rest of us are. Well, that wasn't what I was taught. Right, yeah, because you just didn't learn the right thing. But who am I to tell you that? I, I'm just telling you what I'm seeing in the Scriptures. Jonah was a prophet. Jonah was used by God. Jonah was somebody that God spoke through. A recognized prophet of the Old Testament, and he still got it wrong. You can't get it wrong? Of course you can. I can't get it wrong? Of course I can. I do get it wrong. And so understanding that, and understanding that God doesn't perform to my expectation is an important step for us, a really important step for us, to move with the Spirit instead of, of fighting against the Spirit. It's an important step for us to really flow in the streams of and in the rivers of what God has for us to find ourselves flowing with the current of that rather than paddling and swimming against it. We're going to waste a lot of time and a lot of effort trying to paddle and swim against the current of God. And it's fruitless. There's a lot of disappointment in that. 
There, there's a lot of disillusionment in that, a lot of anger and frustration in that, and it all comes from us. You know, God goes where He goes. He does what He does. He says what He does, and He does it the way He wants to do it. The best thing we can do is find ourselves in the flow of that. That's the best we can do. It's going to be better than any idea we have. It's going to be better than any tradition we have. It's going to be better than anything we've ever thought up. It's just going to be the best to get in that flow. Jonah tried to fight the flow, ends up in the, you know, the belly of a fish. Yeah, it, it, It's a bad place. It's just a bad place to be. It's a bad place to be to find yourself fighting against the flow of the Holy Spirit. I don't care if you're a kinship leader, you're, you're, you're a prayer leader, you're, you're, you're leading some kind of a, a different kind of group or whatever it is you're doing. But if you find yourself in, in whatever, for whatever reason and you're fighting the flow of the Holy Spirit, you need to get that straightened out. You need to get that straightened out. If you're standing in church on a Sunday and the Holy Spirit's trying to move through you and you're fighting it, you need to get that straightened out. You need to get it straightened out. You want to be pliable. You want to be soft. You want to be moldable. You want you want to get in. You, you know, you're better off jumping in the, the little blow-up ring and just floating down the river with him instead of trying to swim against it. We just need to, to learn to flow with him. We all need to learn to flow with Him more. All of us. But to recognize the fight is fruitless is an important first step. To recognize that maybe that river ain't going where He thought it was going to go. Okay. Relax. Let's go with it. Maybe to recognize that, oh, I didn't think God worked that way. Well, then you were wrong. Okay. Is that is that so horrible to be wrong? Is it so horrible that you didn't have it right and, and God does work that way and it just you just hadn't seen it before, you hadn't experienced it before? It's okay. But you can flow into it now if you're willing. If you have the courage. If you have the courage just to flow with the Holy Spirit, I mean, you're going to see some great things. You're going to see some, some fantastic, some some miraculous things through your life if you have the courage to flow with the Holy Spirit. If you're going to live your life fighting Him, though, you ain't going to see much except for a lot of frustration. And I'm not talking about fighting Him necessarily in any way that you're just out and out rebellion. I'm talking about fighting Him just by just by trying to make Him do what you want Him to do. All right, That's not out and out rebellion. That's just you trying to enforce a will or enforce a vision or enforce something on God that it didn't originate with Him and it's not His. And that's what I mean fighting against it. It's like, it's like well, I'm not actively fighting God. Well, you may not be, but maybe you are. Maybe you are by not just flowing. Maybe you are by not just allowing God to be God and getting in with Him. Maybe you are kind of fighting it. Maybe you're scared. Well, I don't know what he's going to do. Yep, that's always true. You don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to do. 
Nobody knows what he's going to do. You know who knows what he's going to do? He knows what he's going to do. There's a lot of freedom in just finding a spot where we can flow with it. There's a lot of liberty in just finding a spot where we can just get into that current of the Holy Spirit and just see where it goes. There's a lot of freedom in that. There's a lot of peace in that. There's a lot of joy in that. There's a lot of release in that for all of us. And maybe, you know, our schedule we maybe our schedule doesn't get taken care of then. Okay. Maybe we don't get done what we thought we were gonna get done. Alright. 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 Now, everything I, I said there, that love, that grace, that pity, that mercy, that patience, that forgiveness, that kindness, that tenderness, that's for everyone. Everyone. And see, that needs to be our understanding. That needs to be your understanding right here and now. And those things are for everyone. Everybody. It's for everybody. Even people you don't like, it's for them. People that upset you, well, that's for them. People you don't get along with, it's still for them. Even God-haters. His love, His grace, His pity, His mercy, His patience, His forgiveness, tenderness, and kindness are for every God-hater you know. Every one of them. You see, even the pagans, even the pagans, Grace and love and mercy for everybody. Now, here's the part I want you to hear about Jonah. All that's for everybody. He can say that, right? He's saying that. That's what he's saying. 4-2, right there. That's what he's saying. It's like his grace, his love, his mercy, his pity, his patience, his forgiveness, his tenderness, his kindness. It's for everybody but me, or whoever I say. And if that's your attitude, you're going to have a hard time receiving that for yourself. It's either for everybody, or you're going to have a hard time receiving it. And that's what I was trying to say about Jonah. He... He had a hard time understanding that that's for the people of Nineveh. He could say it. Do you understand? He said the words. He said the words. But he, he didn't really believe it. He didn't want to believe it. And so he had a hard time receiving that for himself. You see, he had been provoked to anger by the dissonance between what he thought should happen and what God was doing. That provoked him to anger. And there was, there was an incongruity there that they weren't the same thing. God was going to do what God was going to do. And and Jonah didn't like that. He wanted things to go the way he wanted it to go. And so he was provoked to anger by the difference, by the distance between those two things. And so he took it upon himself to reprove God. 
He's going to correct him. And the end result of this dissonance and the end result of this anger was basically he just said that God will kill me, please. Now, he's not the first one to come to that conclusion. He's not. Let's look at a couple others. Let's look at um, 1 Kings 19.4. 1 Kings 19.4. You can go ahead. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better. Who is that speaking? Elijah. Elijah. And uh, do you know why he did that? Yeah. Yeah, things didn't go the way he thought they were going to go. And he was afraid. And so he found himself at dissonance between what God was doing and what he expected to happen. And that caused fear in his life. And so, you see in Jonah, you see an anger. You see in Elijah, you see a fear. Now, what I want you to hear, and I'm just using these two guys as examples. you got both these guys are prophets. Both these guys are powerful prophets. Both these guys are people that God had used and was going to use. These are people that were close to God. People that had ears to hear what the Holy Spirit was saying. I mean, these are not just run-of-the-mill everybody's. And yet they found themselves in this place. And the only thing I'm trying to get across to you is that it happens. It just happens. And you're going to find yourself in that place sometimes. You're going to find yourself in a place where you have an expectation and it's not being met. And the real challenge is when you find yourself in that place, is not to keep pushing your expectation. The real challenge when you find yourself in that place is to flow into God and what He's actually doing. Not trying to make something happen. Not trying to rebuke God or reprove God. But to actually allow your mind, your heart to change to begin to flow into what He's actually doing. Where He's at. Because there's going to be times where he's not going to do what you think he's going to do. Okay. Okay. Time to time time to change. Then he doesn't change. Time to change. Flow into what he has, what he's doing. Let's look at another example. Numbers. Numbers eleven fifteen. Alright, who's speaking that? That's Moses. Yeah, now now Moses, he's pretty he's pretty big name, right, in the Bible? 
Y'all know Moses, right? Prophet. Leader of the children of Israel. I mean, you know, he's he's pretty high up there in the, you know, if, if there was a Mount Rushmore of Bible guys, I mean, Moses is in that. And yet, here's Moses. What's he saying? If this is how you're going to treat me, then go ahead and kill me. So there was something, and you can read what it was, but there was something about what was going on that didn't meet his expectation of what God was going to do. And so because God wasn't going to meet his expectation of what was about to happen, then he's like, well, just kill me then. Like Jonah or Elijah. Or, what's the alternative? Instead of anger or fear or hopelessness, what's the alternative? What could he do? He could flow into what God was actually doing. Okay? All of these guys can make that decision, and they did make that decision. To flow into what God was doing, and so the momentary moment that that momentary space where we find ourselves at odds, we find ourselves hopeless, or we find ourselves angry, or we find find ourselves as as being in fear. Okay, that's the moment. You can make a decision in that moment that you find yourself in to realign. And to flow into where God is and what God's doing. And we need to do that. Because you can kick against the goads until you bloody your shins. But you're not going to win. You're just not going to. The Apostle Paul, he had to figure that out, right? I mean, he was kicking against the goads, against Jesus. And against the believers against the early church until he got knocked off his horse, blinded. And it was in, in those moments and in those times that all of a sudden he realized, like, well, I can keep kicking against the goads. I can keep bloodying my shins. Or what can happen? I can flow into what God's actually doing. And that's what he did. He flowed into what God was actually doing. And became one of the most prolific of the New Testament writers, church planners, and disciple makers of his time. But he had to switch. He had to change his mind. He had to change his perspective. He had to change his expectations of what God was doing. He had to change his expectations of how God worked. And he had to flow into what the Holy Spirit was actually doing in order for that to happen. And so... Each one of these people that I just described, I mean, they, they're spiritual people. They're all spiritual people. They're all people that are close to God. They're all people that know God. And, and that's kind of what I, I want you to get out of this, and what I'm trying to tell you, is that I'm not, this isn't a, a put-down on anybody. Because I'm, I'm not going to put down Jonah. I'm not going to put down Moses. I'm not going to put down Elijah. I'm not going to put down Saul, the Apostle Paul. They're spiritual giants. But what I will do is I'll learn from them that when I find myself in a similar circumstance where I'm kicking against the goads or I find myself in a similar circumstance where I'm angry or fearful or, or disillusioned or hopeless, 
because of my expectation and God didn't meet my expectation, then I've got to have something in me that's willing to say, all right then, I need to change my expectation and I need to flow into what God is saying and what God is doing. Because if you think about the language of kill me, please, I mean, you know, it's like, it's folly. It's folly. I mean, it's passionate, but it's corrupt thought. It's what it is. It is it's a passionate folly. A passionate corruption of thought. It, it's, it's babbling. It's lying. It's frustration. It's emotion that finds itself in the language, but it's not helpful. It's not life-giving. What is is the remains of a proud, and this is what I want you to hear too, because this, this is really where it comes from. It's a proud and unloving heart. Like uh, with Jonah, I mean, he cared more about his reputation than he did the people of Nineveh, didn't he? Rather than, than be concerned about the people of Nineveh, all those souls in Nineveh that were going to be destroyed if they if they didn't repent, all those souls in Nineveh that God's judgment was going to fall on and bring destruction on, he was more concerned about his own reputation than he was about them. So to me, that's proud and that's unloving. And pride and unloving go together. They go together. They, they are joined together in many, many, many things. Because we live in pride, it's hard to live in pride and really love other people all at the same time. It's really hard to care about others and live in pride. You see, Jonah rather desired to witness and speak destruction over those people than to see them hear his word, repent, and be spared. Because that's what happened. He preached, prophesied, he gave his word, and starting from the king on down, that city repented of their sin, and they received the grace, and the mercy, and the love, and the pity, and the patience, and the forgiveness, the tenderness, and the kindness of God. It is exactly who God is. And so rather than see the good that he had done, that God had used him for, in other words, the mercy that God had poured out through the preaching of Jonah, the grace that was poured out through the preaching of Jonah, the forgiveness that was poured out, the sparing of all of those lives that took place because of his preaching, rather than being able to see that, how God had used him for that, all he could worry about was how he looked. And that kind of pride is deadly to me and to you. So things didn't go his way, or the way he thought they were supposed to go, but instead of seeing how they went better than the way he thought it was supposed to go, 
he got angry and decided to reprove God for it. And because of that, couldn't even see all the good that was done through him. In our haste to speak destruction, we don't want to miss the life that God's pouring out. And that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. You see, God showed mercy to that city for God's glory. And Jonah was a part of that. It takes a shift. It takes a shift in us to be able to see that. To be able to flow in what the Holy Spirit is actually saying and doing. It will require a shift on our part. So I hope you're getting, and, and I want to kind of end this on this, but I hope you're getting the point I'm making that some of this is on you. Do you get that? Now, I'm not talking about the mercy and the grace and the love and the pity and the patience, the forgiveness, the tenderness, and the kindness. God's showing that, and He shows that to everybody. What's on us is shifting our perspective in order to flow in what God has. Because that's for everybody. And if there's any if there's any barrier to those things that you have in your mind, you need to shift that toward God and His perspective. Because as much as you put a barrier up of all of those things toward anybody else, that barrier is on you. And I want all that stuff that I can get. That's just me. I want all the mercy, all the love, all the grace, all the pity, all the patience, all the forgiveness, all the tenderness, all the kindness that I can possibly get. That's what I want. And so I need to remove the barriers in my heart or in my mind to that for anyone else. I want to flow in what God has. I don't care if it's a Monday night Bible study. I want to flow in what God has. Kinship. I want to flow in what God has. Sunday mornings. I want to flow in what God has. Friday prayer. I want to flow in what God has. Monday through Friday prayer, morning prayer. I want to flow in what God has. Not what I think is supposed to happen. But what he's doing. Because those are two distinct things. And my thinking about it ain't going to make nothing happen. My expectation that God, this is the way he's going to move, that ain't going to make anything happen. I want to flow with the Spirit. And so I want to encourage you to begin to let go of anger and of fear and of hopelessness and get in the flow of what the Holy Spirit's doing. Just get in that flow. I mean, I could wish things were different and God was doing things differently, but He's not. 
I want to get in the flow of what he's doing. I, I prefer things look a certain way, but it doesn't. And so I want to get in the flow of how it actually is. And just find myself in the middle of that current. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for us tonight that we can let go of some destructive ideas. Destructive ways of seeing you. Destructive ways of uh, of thinking that this is how you operate or just the way you do things. I just pray, God, we just let go. And that we would have enough courage just to jump into the flow and jump into the stream of your Holy Spirit. That regardless of reputation or trying to preserve your honor or whatever it is that's in our head, we just let you be in us and through us. So God, I pray that we would experience, live in, proclaim mercy and grace and love that we would proclaim and live in your patience your forgiveness, your tenderness and your kindness in our life in the lives of those around us in the lives of the people that come into contact with us that we would err if there's any error at all on the side of all that that's for everybody including me. So God, I ask that we be a people of your Spirit. We'll be a people, God, of, of freedom and liberty in your Spirit. We'll be a people flowing and finding ourselves in the middle of the stream of your Spirit. Not ruled by fear. Not ruled by anger. Not ruled by judgment. Not ruled by any tyranny of our mind. But we just allow you to be you. In us and through us. Father, tonight we give you thanks and praise. Flow, God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. And they also see a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. 
So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah. <laughs>